From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with my friend and colleague, Jeffrey Roach. How are you today, sir? Hello, hello. It is uh, it is a Monday as we're recording it here, and uh, so far the week has started out well. <laughs> we got a few more days to go, though, right? A few more days to go. Well, hopefully uh, the retail sales data or the Fed don't ruin what so far is a good week. Uh, right. So um, thanks for joining, Jeff. Sorry we took the week off um, after our uh, national conference out in San Diego. Took a break, and um, and now we're back with you. So thank you, Jeff, for joining. Here's our agenda. We're just going to recap last week. Uh, it was a really interesting week because of the move higher in interest rates. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the, um, the Fitch downgrade. We would have talked about this last week, certainly, because it happened on August 1st. Uh, but we'll cover that. And we actually wrote a weekly market commentary on that topic on the U.S. debt situation. Certainly an important, but maybe not so pleasant topic. Uh, and then last, I already teased it, right? Uh, retails, the big story of the week with the Fed minutes. And uh, next week is Jackson Hole. So let's get into it, Jeff. Um, here's the headline for the week. Stocks struggle with rising rates. Uh, you mentioned it's Monday. It's Monday, August 14th as we're turning this as we're recording this, and these returns are through uh, Friday, uh, August 11th. Uh, so we had a little bit of a down week for the S&P, down 30 basis points, not much. The weakness uh, in the NASDAQ, though, stands out. And so, you know, on the one hand, you might think, well, tech's had such a great run, it needs to pull back, um, right? Valuations are, are high, and certainly some of the tech leaders. And we, we would generally agree with that sentiment. But I think rising rates was really more of the story last week. Uh, we'll show you a chart of the tenure here in a minute. In a minute, but it was a pretty big move, you know, up to uh, up near last year's highs on the tenure. Part of this is related to what Fitch highlighted that um, uh, you know the U.S. debt situation isn't getting any better, uh, but it's also related to the soft landing uh, narrative maybe catching hold. So um, we had some losses in the bond market, and then we had, which we'll show you in a minute, and then we had some losses in the stock market. Um, anything else here jump out at you, Jeff, to highlight? Well, it's interesting. You know, we look at uh, one week, one month, three months, six months, you know, and you, and it gets a little bit dangerous when you try to tell a story in shorter time frames. But, you know, after the CPI on Thursday last week and then uh, the University of Michigan sentiment survey on Friday, it's interesting Thursday, Friday, some some moves within cyclicals. Now that didn't necessarily hold up for the whole week, but I, you know, I think the markets are still trying to figure out. You know, the data is fairly solid. There's not a lot of hard data that's confirming the story that eventually the consumer will run out of uh, money for the spending splurge they're doing. Uh, the survey data is is what people are holding on to. People like. Me, for example, that eventually uh, the bill comes due, uh, and so it, it's been it's been tough. Um, markets seem like that soft landing might happen. Uh, inflation is cooling, but really that last mile getting down to the two percent might be a challenge. And uh, higher rates certainly been a little bit of a damper. Oh, no doubt. Something else that's been a bit of a damper is China, right? The Reopening has been a big disappointment. They're struggling with a uh, property uh, real estate crisis. 
So you saw China, uh, China's market lose some ground last week. You saw weakness in industrial metals, very China tied. Uh, so um, that's certainly something we're watching. We LPR research continues to be uh, underweight emerging market equities. Um, the uh, so here's bonds and commodities, and you see the industrial metals index down three and a half percent. You know, copper's down this year. Um, the energy sector actually is really natural gas driven. Crude oil didn't move much last week. It was it was really a natural gas story, but that helped drive energy sector gains. You know, the top performer uh, last week. And I guess on the bond side, I mean, other than just losses in high quality bonds as rates rose, I think the resilience of high yield is interesting. Of course, high yield offers attractive yields. Uh, maybe that speaks to uh, the um, you know resilience of corporate America, a theme that we have uh, heard a lot about during earnings season. Uh, certainly, you know, high yield is not an area we're we're focused on. We like preferred securities better within the fixed income universe in terms of credit uh but uh, i think high yields uh, resilience is 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 notable uh so let's turn to the stock market here jeff this is the s p 500 and i got some support levels from our chief technician adam turnquist uh and drew some lines on here i i think you know the first takeaway here is that there's a lot of support for the s p 500 just a little below where we're at we're a little bit above this as we're recording. This is Friday's close, 44.65. The, you know, the support levels from recent highs and from the, you know, sort of support from the, uh, maybe the June pullback. There's a number of levels here that could keep us above, let's say 43.50 uh, for a while, you know, maybe 100, 130 S&P points down. But the, we think that actually this, this pullback could go a little further, you know, so maybe we'd be watching the 4,200 uh, level for an ultimate low. Potentially, that would probably be a dip uh, that we would be buying. So we'll see how far it goes. I mean, the next support level is the 50-day moving average around uh, 4,440. Uh, but we've we've kind of been bouncing around here the last couple of months. The good news when you bounce around is you create support. Uh, but of course, the bad news is you don't make any any progress. So, you know, our neutral equities kind of fits with the technical story. Maybe we need to be sort of choppy uh, and, and sideways. So uh, let's look at the 10-year yield real fast here. I mean, this is a simple story, right? We are really close to the highs of last fall. And if we break through those, we're going to be at 15-year highs on the 10-year treasury yield. So this is something that the stock market's going to have a tough time digesting if we keep going higher. Uh, Jeff, what would you say, um, you know, is sort of the mix of causes of higher yields? Do you think this is, you know, the market kind of reacting to Fitch? Do you think it's, you know, the digestion of all the treasury issuance? Do you think it's soft landing or something else? All yeah, the above? I, I, well, I, you know, I think we make a pretty decent case that it's not Fitch, uh, or at least it, it'll at least shrug it off a little bit, you know, relative to comparing um, you know, with the S&P downgrade in 2011, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Yeah, I think in terms of where you want to rank, you know, the the key catalysts for this rise, I think it's that soft landing uh, narrative. I think it's kind of interesting when you think about uh, yields on the 10-year relative to what we're seeing in high yields. We kind of hinted at it on that uh, screenshot a little bit earlier on the slides. It, it's this 
unusual period where I think, you know, there might be a little bit of interest for investors to take risk off the table. We saw that in the uh, the equity numbers and the, and the techno kind of support levels. Uh, perhaps there might be a little bit more interest for investors to take a little more equity risk off the table. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of that um, that unknown about, uh, you know, coming through 2023, things look very strong. Uh, we're slowing down, no doubt, especially as you look at labor market. Um, but it's that unknown about what uh, the rest of Q3 and Q4 look like. And, uh, and uh, fixed income investors need to be compensated uh, for that risk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we like the bond market as much as we have in a very long time. Uh, so that means that we are, you know, comfortable with the yields here. If if we thought yields were going to go much higher than this, we certainly wouldn't be as comfortable uh, with bonds. So, uh, you know, combination of the Fed being close to done or done and inflation coming down, um, we think we'll put downward pressure on rates. But in the very short term, sure, we got a lot of Treasury issuance to digest. And then we have uh, you know, the uh, budget concerns that were raised uh, uh, by Fitch. So, uh, you know, we don't want to sound bearish here because we're neutral, right? Neutral equities is not negative. Um, actually, this this slide probably supports being fully invested um, because these these drawdowns here are, are not, you know, particularly severe. So this is a study that Adam Turnquist did uh, looking at how big drawdowns tend to be after a strong start to the year. So he ran this on August 11th, broke the year-to-date returns down by deciles, and then looked at the maximum pullbacks that you get uh, within each decile. So we're in decile two, I guess, you know, up 16, 17% for the year. The average drawdown is only six and a half. That's, I mean, heck, we're almost halfway there already. And people haven't even noticed this pullback. Mm -hmm. It's been so uh, limited, right? So, you know, maybe we have a little bit bigger than that, um, you know, to get to uh, 4,200, you would need a little bit bigger pullback. The point here is um, we can still have a solid gain for the year. We can end the, mar the the year higher than we are this, you know, right now, but still have a high single digit pullback. So when that high single digit pullback potentially comes, uh, you know, don't be, don't be too alarmed. I yep. think this is a really good message to pound up. Uh, to uh, investors. Actually, kind of related to this, the average drawdown in any given positive year is 12%, right? I bet that's bigger than a lot of people would would guess uh, based on data back to uh, to 1950. Yeah, you... I, Jeff, yeah. I think you, you, you hinted at it earlier. I think when you look at the numbers and you look where we are and the path on which we, we traveled since January this year to where we are today, I think it does make the case for staying invested, uh, and I I love that title you you did. Uh, I think it was a blog post maybe um, several weeks ago now, where we moved to a, a neutral relative to benchmark, waiting for equities. But that wasn't that's not a negative view, right? There's it's just a management of the risk and and the choppiness. And I think the other thing I'd say, you know, it's interesting when we the the recent drawdown in the last. Uh, week or so, uh, really hasn't garnered a lot of attention, seems like. Uh, and perhaps that's because we've we've developed so much support uh, at these levels where we are, S&P 500. Yeah, I don't think this pullback went more than like two and a half percent. So it's, uh, well, the NASDAQ was a bigger pullback, but the S&P right. 
Yeah, it's been very limited. So um, I think the, um, you know, the soft landing narrative gaining hold, uh, good earnings season, generally relative to expectations, that's been part of the story. But we've also had this steady um, decline in inflation, right, Jeff? I mean, this is part of the story too, right? That's got investors maybe, uh, you know, reversing their calls for another bear market or or pulling back on recession fears. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I'd highlight just for our listeners uh, you know, reading from left to right, don't get too concerned about the the details of the numbers. Just look at your colors, right, from red to green, uh, except for gas prices. But pretty much everything else, uh, red to green, meaning, meaning there's improvement. One of the things, Jeff, I haven't highlighted enough, but I probably need to start beating on this drum. And that is, you know, in 2020, when the Fed held uh, their virtual Jackson Hole Summit, that was the that was all kind of uh, modified this two percent target, and the rephrasing of it was it was a long run two percent average, and so I, I think it's just so it's so helpful to think of that modest tweak, which turns out to be a pretty you know uh, you know life changing in the sense that you think about post great financial crisis. We've seen core CPI, core PCE deflator, uh, one of the Fed's preferred metrics of inflation, stay below 2%. So when you get it above 2% and we're still above the 2%, remember that the Fed talks about this long-run average. So it's hovering. Sometimes it's going to be below. Sometimes it's going to be above. So I think it's a really important point to, to remember because we could get to this stage in this current cycle where the Fed pauses, even though inflation is slightly above their 2% target in the near term, because it's about a 2% long run average target. Uh, so, you know, people don't think about that uh, enough, I think. But, uh, you know, I wanted to highlight the Jackson Hole Symposium from 2020, because I think it uh, preps us well for the upcoming uh, Jackson Hole 2023 which is, uh, I think, uh, the 24th, I believe, which is a Thursday and uh, goes into the weekend. But uh, imp important to think about uh, and and really remind folks in how the Fed views in the inflation target. Key yeah. takeaway here, though, just to boil it down, key takeaway is inflation is easing. Hey, look, excluding housing, you know, the latest July CPI number is 1%. So, uh, you know, it's it's clearly uh, going in the right direction. And we know that the Fed will they take a long run average, not just a, a month snapshot on that inflation read. So that's that's the key takeaway. Yeah, 100 percent. So I, I think something like 90 percent of the increase in CPI was was housing, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's a big housing story for sure. Uh, so thanks for that, Jeff. Let's go into earnings. Um, you know, some of the stuff I've already shared um, two weeks ago, uh, the last time we did the podcast, right? The story has not changed dramatically. You know, we were surprised at how much upside then. We were surprised at how resilient estimates were then. Well, we still are, right? The beat rates, you're looking at the earnings dashboard, 80% earnings beat rate is better than we've seen in recent quarters at this stage. Uh, the upside surprises on average are about seven points, similar to last quarter, but certainly I think a bigger upside surprise than most people thought. 
Coming into earnings season, consensus was looking for down 7% S&P 500 earnings. If you take out Merck, which is two points, we're down 1.6 now. So that's quite a bit better. We've got a little more uh, ways to go to get the last few companies out, but uh, we're going to be pretty close to flat X Merck. Then you take out energy. Energy is a 7% drag, roughly a little less, but about that. And then you're up, you know, let's call it maybe 6% when all the numbers are in, 5 to 6%. Uh, that's not bad. That's a pretty good underlying earnings power for what is a very tough environment uh, for companies in terms of in terms of margins. Now, perhaps the most in, impressive thing about this is that estimates for the next four quarters have risen. So we just hold Q2 or Q, I'm sorry, Q3 of 2023 through Q2 of 2024. Right. Look at those estimates when earnings season started. Look at them again now. They're up 20 basis points. That is extremely rare. So estimate resilience is actually that story is that even gained steam uh, over the past couple of, of weeks since we talked to you last. So I'm I'm very impressed. Um, corporate America has done a great job of managing margins, and we're you know back to near 220 in consensus S and P 500 earnings for 2023. When um, you know just a few months ago, a lot of people were talking about 200 or 205. There's just Virtually no chance we'll be down there that low uh, at this point. So we're at two thirteen, and we actually think we're now maybe a little bit too low. What What do you think, Jeff? What to what do you attribute such strong earnings relative to expectations? Hmm. Yeah, I, I like what you said. Estimate resilience, <laughs> and I think we we've seen it from uh, the the firms managing their labor costs. You know, perhaps that's adding a little bit uh, of support here. Um, of course, the consumer's still been, you know, spending like crazy. So it's uh, they have a pretty decent markets and uh, perhaps still a little bit of pricing power, uh, you know, that that may erode just a bit. But uh, certainly managing costs has certainly been uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty helpful from from the bottom for the bottom line. And and certainly productivity statistics for Q2 were, were pretty strong, too. Right. And that kind of feeds into the point you just made right earnings have which been yeah which which actually is is a good uh a little bit of a teaser when we talk about you know projections into you know 2025 2026 as it relates to uh budget as a percentage of gdp you know, we got to keep those productivity numbers high enough uh in order to to support you know what we what we might think in the next couple of years that's a, just a little bit of a teaser for nice. uh highlighting the up the this week's weekly market commentary the Segway master right there at work. <laughs> well done. So yes, we're going to talk about the U.S. debt situation. Um, Fitch, of course, shined a light on this uh, by downgrading the U.S. government debt rating. And then that followed, uh, as many of you remember, the uh, S&P move in 2011. So, you know, naturally, when we got this headline, some people got nervous. We get it, right? The market dropped almost 20% in 2011, and the S&P downgrade was certainly a big part of why. Uh, so let's just talk about, Jeff, some reasons this is different. Here you see the 2011 uh, chart of the S&P 500, and you look at that collapse. I mean, it wasn't all uh, the S&P move, right? I mean, that was a challenging time coming out of the great financial crisis, and we had the European debt crisis. 
raging. Remember we talked about Greece all the time? Right. About it now, except as a vacation destination, but we're not talking about Greek debt and the solvency of, of the country anymore, thankfully. So, um, you know, I think the question people might ask is, why is this different, right? So, well, I highlighted one or a couple of reasons, really. For, I mean, first, we've been here before, Jeff, right? We, you know, we went through this with in 2011. So that's a big difference. We don't have the European debt crisis. That's a big, big difference. Uh, can you highlight some other yeah. reasons maybe why we wouldn't expect the market to react this way? Well, I think about 2011, we were still working through a, an absolutely massive asset bubble in housing, right? Remember, uh, remember the the uh, collapse uh, in housing certainly started in uh, places like Marco Island and uh, Reno and Las Vegas and Phoenix, uh, and then eventually, you know, really kind of traveled across uh, the entire country. But, you know, in these years that we're showing on the screen here, uh, you know, housing was a, a huge, huge drag uh, for for pretty much uh, most, well, I should I should say across the board for uh, upper income folks, middle lower class, you know wherever you find yourself in the income distribution, um, you know an asset bubble that's popping as it relates to housing that is a tough tough thing to work through. Yeah, and that feeds into why we were in a deflationary environment then, and now we're in the opposite, right? This is an inflationary environment. Back then, we had the Fed cut rates to zero. We had quantitative easing, what, four rounds of it. Um, you know, that was several years after this before they finished, but we had a lot of QE with the uh, Fed massively increasing its balance sheet. Well, now we're going the opposite direction. They haven't shrunk the balance sheet much uh, post-pandemic, but they have shrunk it a little bit. Uh, and clearly, they are pulling back on, on stimulus, uh, not adding to it. Um, right, right. So that actually, that, that's a good segue to this slide. I'm going to steal your title as the segue master, Jeff, to show you the 10-year yield. So here we superimpose the 10-year yield path this time, right, this year versus 2011. And you see going in opposite directions, right? It's a totally different environment. Well, I think, you know, add other um, really unusual things happening in 2011 in that, in the in the credit space, broader, you know, fixed income markets think about subprime mortgages uh you know we don't have that conversation today uh we don't have collateralized debt obligations and uh, collateralized loan obligations all those uh instruments and so you know it's very very different uh now granted you could kind of argue well look housing is it was a bubble then isn't housing a bubble now and i think i'd respond by saying well part of the challenge it's not we we got to high house prices not because uh, of of very easy access to credit, right? Zero down. If you could fog a mirror, you got a mortgage. In this case, you have a very tight labor market because people are moving around. Certainly, it started during the hybrid work environment. Uh, that certainly added all kinds of interesting stresses in the market. And then, of course, no one wants to move. If you got a mortgage at 2.5%, why put your house up for sale now? Um, so supply of homes is going to be constricted uh, in the near term. So it, it's it's a lot different uh, when you when you look at credit markets, lending markets. Uh, those are those are some two I think very important variables to look at. Absolutely. So you know while this Fitch news probably put a little bit of upward pressure on rates. I mean we, right after the news, I think the ten year yield moved about 
15 basis points over the next few days. So we'll attribute some of the move to that, but, but there's clearly more going on. Uh, we still think, as I mentioned earlier, that rates are going to find a ceiling here uh, in short order and, and then move back down into the, the high threes by the end of the year, um, consistent with what happens historically when the Fed stops hiking rates. So, um, you know, so now the question is, well, you know, what happens now? Is the U.S. debt problem going to get worse? And can the Treasury afford to pay the service on the debt and all that? Well, the answer, it's a good story now, right? Because debt as a percentage of nominal GDP, uh, the interest on the debt for the U.S. government has actually come down in recent decades because of low interest rates. Uh, this number in the most recent quarter was 2.3%. So that is a good number. But as higher interest rates flow through to treasury coupon payments on the debt, uh, this number is going to get worse. If you look at the interest payments relative to tax receipts, it's kind of like revenue. I'll get to this on the next slide a little bit. The revenue the government gets is obviously how they pay the interest. That ratio right now is 13% and rising. And historically, when it gets to 14%, that triggers some tough decisions, or at least tough conversations in Washington. Uh, and maybe the bond vigilantes will come out again and push yields higher. So I think this is a good story now, but as we know, if the US government doesn't start addressing this soon, it's just gonna get tougher and tougher uh, over time. And um, you know, eventually the market's going to throw a tantrum. Now, you know, I don't know what you think about timeline for that, Jeff. I think it's several years away still, uh, but it's probably less than 10 before this becomes a real problem, right? And that's that's what we show on this chart. If the government just continues on its spending path, the deficit as a percent of GDP is going to go from five and a half to seven and a half, right? And at that point, if interest rates are higher, it really becomes untenable. Uh, and we'll have to start spending, you know, cut spending. We'll have to do something with entitlements, potentially. We'll have to um, raise taxes, potentially, which nobody wants to see. Uh, how long before this becomes a problem, Jeff? Yeah, you know, I think so much of it relates to uh, what what's going to happen the latter half of this year and then 2024. So we know from history, going back, you know, to the Clinton years and uh, prior to that, when we had a, a federal surplus for a very uh, short bit, you know, so much uh, weighs and relies upon uh, steady growth. And so if we have kind of this short and shallow recession that may show up, but and if it's a soft landing, whatever it turns out to be, but if it's short and contained, and so by the time you hit the latter half of 2024 or even 2025, there's enough um, kind of, you know, correction to allow the economy to kind of, you know, restart to something fairly decent. Now, granted, you know, we're going to shift down to slightly lower uh, growth path because of an aging population and a shrinking labor force. But if we have that offsetting influence of artificial intelligence keeping productivity rates up, you know, maybe that, you know, 2030 and onward graph doesn't look that bad. I think, uh, Jeff, as you and I were talking about this earlier, you look at that uh, gray line, which is deficit as percent of GDP, you know, kind of 
hitting a little bit of that uh, steep slope there after 2030, that's going to be very difficult to sustain, probably unsustainable. A lot of it re relies on on the blips of the next two years. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Just a key takeaway, I think, from this is, you know, it's a, it's about uh, pro-growth policies, you know, things that allow the economy to, you know, thrive and have its, you know, reach its full potential, if you will, uh, you know, and that's going to be really something that's going to emerge uh, in the next, say, 24 months. Uh, that'll very important how the growth path looks like in the next decade. Yeah, so, you know, whoever's in the White House in 2024 may, you know, be in a more challenging situation at some point in their next term. Uh, you know, especially if they're a two-termer, which they probably won't be, but we'll see. Uh, too early to speculate on the 2024 election, but this is this is something that we need to start addressing in the next several years, or it's just going to get tougher and tougher. So uh, good discussion there. Again, uh, Jeff, as you highlighted, this was the topic of our weekly market commentary for this week, which you can find on LPL.com. So let's preview the week, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, so Jeff, we got a big week for retail. Uh, and uh, it's not just the retail sales report that we get on on Tuesday. I guess we'll that'll be out by the time you listen to this. But uh, we also have a number of retailers reporting earnings, right? Including um, Home Depot, Target, and Walmart. So I think we we can debate. Maybe we have a different view on this. But I actually think retail is going to be a bigger story this week than the Fed minutes. What do you think? You're going to take. Uh -huh. I don't know. So, so I guess the reason why I, I, uh, I'm taking the other side on that, Jeff, <laughs> is, you know, the the minutes I think are going to help us uh, get a little bit of that sneak peek on how the Fed was viewing this this emerging trajectory in inflation. How encouraged uh, are they going to be as they as they reveal? Hey, look, you know, the numbers are still too high, but are they happy about the direction? I think that's going to be. Um, important for investors long term because you know we still have this disconnect, Jeff, that we've had for a very long time about what the markets expect rates might look like, you know, the next twelve months, and what the Fed has projected rates uh, in the next twelve months. The Fed's uh, you know a lot more hawkish than what the the markets think, and so I think the minutes will kind of help uh, correct. Those views. We do know dot plots are poor predictors. Uh, Fed's dot plot, uh, not a, a, a good strategy for those that uh, want to put some bets on the table. But uh, that's that's kind of my argument for why <laughs> Fed minutes are going to be uh, take the cake this week. All right, you you convinced me. I'll uh, I'll, I'll give in. I'll, oh, I'll, not I'll, that easy. Come on, come on, push back. I'll continue to be an obsessive Fed watcher for just a little bit longer. Maybe 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 through Jackson Hole, and then I'm I'm going to try to pay attention to other things. But obviously the market, for the market, the Fed is very, very important. And so if we do get hints as to what they might do, either in the minutes today or this week or in uh, Jackson Hole next week, uh, that will be certainly very important for markets. So, um, you know, other than that, it's just kind of the usual um, monthly cadence of housing data and, and, and jobs uh, data and the leading index that, that we'll watch. Um, but, um, you know, retail and the Fed, probably most important. And I think retail is important now because of the pricing power that's needed to maintain margins, right? I mean, we obviously want insight into the consumer and how consumers are holding up. That that goes without saying. We care about that every 
all the time, right? Consumer spending is about 70% of the economy. But what I think is a little bit unique this time is in a disinflation environment, right? How are retails, retailers going to be able to maintain margins, right? Because they don't have as much pricing power as they had a couple of years ago. So we'll be watching that with, with the big players um, during uh, retail earnings week. And that'll pretty much bring earnings season to a close, which frankly, I think has bested virtually anybody's expectations. And uh, it looks like the earnings recession will be over next quarter. So um, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap. Uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for joining. Uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in on another LPL Market Signals. Uh, glad we could be back with you. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll be back with you next week for another edition. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you then. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.